is we're going to talk about art this morning. And, and for many of us, that statement, we're going to talk about art, is not necessarily a happy one, not necessarily a pleasing one. And, and one reason is the arts, what comes out of Hollywood, what's made in a recording studio, what's beheld at modern art uh, institutes and museums that you were dragged at against your will, <laughs> a lot of that has largely degenerated from what art and creation was intended to be. And so, having perverted and twisted much of what we hold dear in life, we dismiss art quickly as leftist or immediately liberal, or we just won't even get near it because it's twisted. It has taken things we love and twisted them. And that's what Satan does. Satan cannot create anything. He can only take what is good and twist it. Another reason people often dismiss the idea of art as something they want to hear about or think about or even look at is, hey, I'm not an artist. So therefore, why should I care about art? I'm not necessarily what I would consider creative. How many of you would consider yourselves in that category? Don't feel creative? You don't feel like much of an artist? Okay. This past week in our community group, we took a break from the huge of what we do and we enjoyed a drawing-based game. So each person in our group donated a piece of artwork to the game, which you can see up here above. And having uh, witnessed this, and having everyone having created something in our group, and there's some lovely creations here, uh, we all kind of separately came to the conclusion, I am not an artist. Which was harsh. There was some, actually some really good stuff up there, and I... Kept a few mementos uh, for later. Now, but I'm hopeful that once you hear what God says, you'll push back against this, this tendency to dismiss art, to dismiss what is creative. Last week you learned that God is building a kingdom after the Exodus that anticipates a kingdom inaugurated by Jesus. And that a kingdom that will expand after Jesus was on this earth through His church, and it will expand in us. We saw through gold and bejeweled high priestly garments, through beautiful cloths, woods, skins, precious metals, brought by the people to build the tabernacle and everything in it. We've, we we kind of got the hint, didn't we? God cares to make a beautiful kingdom. He doesn't want to just put up mortar and brick, a little bit of AC, and have people rush in. God actually cares to build a beautiful kingdom. So I'm excited we get to dedicate an entire Sunday to creativity, to art, to beauty. And that's what we'll do today. First, I'll, I'll trace a, a very basic history of creators. Next, we'll look at uh, Exodus to understand what makes the best creations. The best kind of art, the best kind of creations. Because some is better than others. Not art, all art is created equal. And finally, we'll learn how to maximize our creativity. So firstly, let's look at the creators. A brief history. First, God. God is the first creator. We see it through this world and this Bible. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God then proceeds, guys, to, to create in various mediums, doesn't He? He 
skies, right? The, the waters on land. He begins to create order out of chaos. He makes it into something beautiful. All of our senses thus behold creativity in, in nature today, but not just in nature. Think about even the Word of God that we get to open every Sunday and have the privilege, hopefully, of opening every day of our lives. Incredibly creative. Uh, one pastor said this, with all due respect to preachers, God chose to reveal Himself primarily through story, through parable, through poetry, through proverb, and through song. In other words, God is diversely creative. And even the way He communicates to us. And man, and by proxy, woman, is, we see in the Bible, the second creator. Because the creator, God, decides to make man uniquely in His image, possessing the qualities of God, but in lesser form. The abilities of God, but all sort of in micro, lesser form. That means that all of us are many creators. Each of you are a mini-me. Right? A mini-me of the great me of God, Yahweh. The great I Am. And some of you have a hard time believing that about yourself. You think, man, I don't, I don't have a creative bone in my body. But consider even Adam in the garden, if you would. Like, everything Adam does in the garden is creative and it's wide-ranging. He tills and cares for the garden, Genesis 2.15. Right? So he gets his hands dirty, use his kinesthetic ability to do hard work in the soil with his hands. For you landscape architects out there, former landscape architects we have with us this morning. He names the animals, Genesis 2, 19 and 20, using visual and verbal skills and connecting the two and organizing them together. You can see Adam wanting to even take the animals after and sort of organize it. All right, you invertebrates over here. By sight and then with words. Then he sings. When does he sing? The first time he beholds Eve. He sees her beauty. And what does he do? He erupts in song. Genesis 2.23. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And he sings, right? Channeling emotion into something pleasing to the ear. But also true. Don't we love a good song for that? So we see Adam in a very short amount of time, in a very short amount of space in this Genesis account, create in various ways. We have a number of creative artists in our church. Each person is creative. Everybody has that ability to be creative. So the lawyer who pieces together a persuasive argument. Creative. Absolutely. Writing a note or composing an email that's vivid enough to stand out, to encourage, to serve someone. Absolutely creative. A listening. Think about how, creative, how much creativity it takes to listen. To know when to ask sort of a fact-finding question. To know when to inquire with a searching question. When's the right moment to challenge them or, or, or even push back or share a difference of opinion or perspective? Like, when do you do that? And when do you share sort of a vulnerable anecdote for your own life when you try to listen to someone? And here's what I've experienced. Nearly any physical activity is creative, be it cooking, cleaning, running, jumping, moving, or grooving. All of that takes creativity. Leading a meeting or a project, which you might just think is basic or something you have to get through, takes incredible creativity. At its best, you synthesize ideas and, and, and various desired outcomes 
to a final conclusion, a final action point that no one anticipated. And it's beautiful and it's glorious. The architect, be it a building, a landscape, or a golf course, creativity. Whenever you rearrange your child's room or their schedule to serve them and to help them excel, you're never more like your creator when you do these things for the glory of God and for the good of others. You're imaging who God is. You're showing off who God created you to be. So after sin comes into the world, as we see in Genesis 3, we didn't quite get there. It's not surprising the man creates towers for himself. He enslaves others to create a sphinx in his own image. We see this in the Bible. In both cases, it's not a surprise that God takes creation for self-glory. Creation done to benefit self and only for self, and he brings it into chaos. Think about it. The Tower of Babel. What does he do? Man tries to create a tower for himself. He brings it into chaos. People start to speak wildly different languages. Chaos ensues. Confusion is everywhere. Or, of course, we think about Pharaoh who enslaves these people to make something glorious for himself in his own image. And what does God do? He, he releases the plagues. Decreation. In fact, if you look at the plagues, all of them resemble the creation of God in Genesis 1 and 2, but in reverse. God is decreating. We see a pattern that God does not like when we create to glorify self, to make the self look beautiful for others. Then after the exodus, he takes the, the chaos that remains and of the scattering former slaves, and he recreates one people. And when he begins to build a kingdom through them, who does he first fill up with his Holy Spirit? Is it a king to rule these people? No, it's not. Is it a priest to get in between the people and God? No. Is it a prophet to speak that he fills with his Holy Spirit? It's not. It is an artist. The first time we see God fill someone with the Holy Spirit, it's an artist. It's for creativity. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 35, verse 30, where we're going to see the emergence of a third kind of creator, artists, as particularly skilled creators. Exodus 35, verse 30. We're going to read through chapter 6, 36, verse 2. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Holiab, the son of Ahisamach, and the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twine linen, or by a weaver. Notice all the different kinds of artistic skill being used. By any sort of workman or skilled designer, Basalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to show how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. 
Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, every craftsman in whom the mind, the, uh, in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to do the work. This is God's word. So we see here the importance of skill and the heart of an artist, right? Both matter. The ability to do something, but also the heart to glorify God with it. The heart to be generous with your skill to benefit others. So creators include first God, then you as part of mankind, and also artists as a particularly gifted, particularly skilled kind of creator. Um, Now let's talk about the best kind of creations. What distinguishes the best of what a Christian creates? What distinguishes, what, what makes different a Christian creating something incredibly well from something a maybe non-Christian, someone who didn't know Jesus, someone who wasn't filled with the Spirit, what they make. And here's kind of the message in a nutshell this morning. The best kind of artwork displays the beautiful tension of Saturday. And I want to encourage all of you who create to display the beautiful tension of Saturday. Let me explain what I mean. First, from the beautiful tension of the gospel message, and then connect it to the beautiful tension we see in the artwork of Exodus. In an article called Art in the Now and the Not Yet, the president of Biola University, a guy named Barry Corey, takes on this question of what is it that we can make as Christians, that we can create that's different? And he says we can create on Saturdays. And he didn't mean literally Saturdays. He was saying that because we live between the cross and resurrection, we live in this world between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, right? We live between beholding the forever fullness of God's glory and the despair caused by sin and Satan. We have one foot in both worlds, don't we? As Christians. We can't quite display the fullness of God's glory just like Moses and Exodus couldn't behold all of it. But we can display something in between beauty to the best possible sense, whether it be sight, smell, hearing, tasting, touching, that conveys this this tension that we live in this Saturday moment between the world here and the world to come, between Good Friday and the cross and the resurrection for all who trust Jesus. That's the world we live in. And that says Corey, is the best kind of art we can create. Art that conveys tension, that makes people pause and think about their own life. Because the gospel is incredibly realistic, isn't it? It says, you live in pain. You have rebelled. You are empty. There is evil. But I have done something about it. And one day, I will bring that something to completion. And our art should convey that. What we create in life should convey that. Think about how unique that is, by the way. Sculpture and photography either tries to glorify the person or it objectivizes and degrades people, doesn't it? We see different kinds of photography in art. Movies leave us either disturbed, depressed, or angry, or they're incredibly happy, but they're hollow endings, right? Music is either melancholy or painfully real, Or wildly upbeat, talking about some fabulous life that you or I have never experienced. Even the most famous stories and narratives throughout history tend to work out either as a comedy or tragedy. Only happiness 
or only tragedy at the end. But the Christian has a foot in two realities. The kingdom of God has already come in Jesus, and yet it's not yet. It's not yet fully fulfilled, which will happen when he returns. So we have suffering, sin, frustration, worry, and the cost and the possibility of grace striking at any moment and the surety of its fullness to come for those who trust in Jesus. These both things we hold in tension, don't we, throughout our lives. That's why it's less than the best Christian art. Our, our songs you sometimes hear whose only refrain sounds like, everything is awesome, right? Everything is cool because we know Jesus, right? And, that, and that's, that's the song we hear and the refrain. But there's, there's no background of, of suffering, of difficulty, of pain. Or JPMs. Does anyone know what a JPM is, what that stands for? Any people in the music industry? It's an actual term in the Christian music industry that helps measure the viable playability of a song on the radio based on how many times Jesus is mentioned per minute. In other words, the idea is the more you mention Jesus in your song, the better the song is, the more playable it is, the more we can put it on the radio. Paintings that seem mass-produced only show landscapes and happy families. These may raise your spirits. I mean, I agree with you. In a greeting card that you need one day, I'm not, I'm not you know, saying that God can't use those things, but they're not transformative. They don't cause people to think about their lives, both where they are now and pain and difficulty and despair, but also the reality of a life to come. They're not transformative. The reality of Saturday being in between like we are as Christians adjusts how we do the work and the quality of work itself. For instance, how we do the work, the best of what we create, will involve struggle, will involve sweat, will involve suffering, right? Any of you in here, whoever created something you felt was worth value, there was struggle in it, wasn't there? There was pain involved in it. There was a cost to be paid as you created. That is not an accident. That's how God designed us to create. It'll echo the cross. But you also see goodness, light, freedom, which hints at the resurrection to come. So we see both these things. Struggle, sweat, suffer. But work that can stand on its own. You don't need to pump it up or wait for applause. You can offer it freely because you can trust River, a risen Savior to do with it what He will. You can just leave it. And people are amazed by that, by the way. When you do something that cost you, that was painful, and you say, I give it freely, I don't need applause back, the world is surprised by that. But such is the reality for Christians. We can do that because we have a risen Savior. There's a quality of tension in what we create. Creations from Saturday cause beautiful tension. Consider the artwork, by the way, in the tabernacle here in Exodus. The artwork we kind of started to look at in part, but I want to describe to you more in full. The jewels of Eden and heaven. Jewels that we see in Eden and heaven, according to Ezekiel and according to Revelation, we see set in a garment created for priests. And we hear that they're created, Exodus 28, for glory and for beauty. In other words, we see the glory and beauty of paradise in the only place where sin and suffering in this world are dealt with, in the tabernacle. In the tabernacle is the place of sacrifice, where sin is dealt with, where people get right with God. We also see in the tabernacle, sculpted onto the ark, cherubim, angelic 
creatures of heaven sculpted there on the ark. Exodus 37, 7 through 10. They're located in the in-between place like we are. The six branches of the golden lampstand, which you'll see up here, sculpted to resemble the flowering almond tree. Exodus 37, 17 through 22. This flowering almond tree is meant to evoke the idea of the tree of life, a tree of fruitfulness. The pomegranates woven into the hem of a priestly robe. A spinstress sewing them in there. Chapter 39, verses 23 to 26. These pomegranates were a favorite fruit among Israelites. They were the first ever passion fruit, truly passionate. Because only God can ultimately fulfill our passions and will one day in heaven. These paradise symbols are purposely located in the context of sin and death, right? Sacrifices on the altar to remind us of the eternal God who lies on the other side of the curtain. So when a person comes into the sanctuary and they want to be reaccepted by God, but they're carrying with them despair, they're carrying with them sin, they're carrying with them death, God is trying to remind people in the artwork all around them, yes, but there is hope to come. There's a paradise to come. There is beauty in its fullness to come. And that's what art should do for us now, the best kind of art. It should evoke for us the reality, yes, I live in this world and it's hard. But there is something better also to come, you see? Just like we saw in the tabernacle. Hope, but tinged by trauma. Darkness tonight, a light tomorrow. Now, striving to create this kind of tension, I know admittedly applies more to artists specifically, not towards those of us who are just trying to be creative in our everyday lives. So in some ways, this, the rest of this message will kind of feel like specifically for artists, but that's okay. We don't ever get to talk about this or encourage people to do that kind of work in our church. I want to encourage you, create for people something that's more beautiful, yet also more authentic than what people choose to post on Facebook. Something that will really make people pause. Something true to the human condition, but also gives us genuine hope to carry on. If you're an artist, you want to help people feel the tension to sit in between Friday and Sunday so they can really look through your creation and at their own life. To say, this is different. This gives me reason to pause. Because it's kind of real, but it also hints at something kind of awesome. Kind of glorious. Let me give you a couple examples of this. I'm just going to give you a couple. Here's the Raising of the Cross by Rembrandt van Rijn. Rembrandt, a very famous Dutch painter. If you notice, Rembrandt is here cast in the midst of religious hypocrites, thieves, Roman soldiers, all people who are gathered around Christ to see him suffer. And right there in the middle is something that would have been very surprising to people in Rembrandt's time. It's a painting of himself. It's a, it's a vision of himself helping to raise the cross of Christ. Well, how would someone do this? To create tension, right? So the person looking at the piece of art would say, well, what about me? If the artist is saying that I participated in the death of Christ, what does that say about me? Only a man with the hope of the resurrection would be honest enough to associate himself with the killing of Christ. And that's what Rembrandt does. He knows the power of the resurrection. So he can be real about life. He can have people kind of stop and think about themselves. Let me give you another example of a beautiful creation. Autumn leaves. Fall leaves. The ones that 
leaves that God has put on trees? Why do we love autumn leaves? For those of us who have ever been to places where there are seasons, <laughs> seasons of different temperatures and variations of that sort, we don't get that here. Why do people love those? Because of their beauty, right? For the different colors and the yellows and the, and the oranges and the reds and the hues that come out. But why do they come out? Because the tree is dying. And we actually see examples of this in all of God's creation. Some of those beautiful moments in creation are because something is dying. Because that's the world we live in. That's the tension we live in in this world. So I want to encourage you to create art in this beautiful tension of Saturdays. Finally, let me talk a little bit about how to maximize your creativity. First of all, appreciate great creativity and adjust your own. Appreciate creativity that displays this beautiful tension. You can find such at the National Art Gallery. We have some at the Ritz-Carlton Corridor, the Tower of Kamana Bay, Kathy Church's photography shop, the mosaic of a beautiful stingray and water at the Marriott Hotel, the Cayman Film Festival. You'd find it in your back porch or in your modest garden or anywhere on this verdant island cast in blue Caribbean sea. You could find beautiful creation. By the way, getting yourself in front of really good art is not only important for your creativity, it's important for your relationship with God. Over time, those of you who know the truth will grow bored with it. There are times you're going to feel like the truth about God and reading the Bible will grow stale. At some point, preaching will sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Right? Like, wah, 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 wah. Heard that before. And you're going to admit, man, I don't even feel like opening my Bible. And that's when art becomes so important. When you come to that fork in the road, because at such times, people often, when they get bored of this, and they get bored of hearing about the gospel again and again, you know what they do? They t- we, we turn to new teaching. We turn to new, often false, often distracting teaching to itch that scratch we have. But art can help us see an eternal truth from a fresh perspective, can it? It can help us re-engage with God and look at something from a different angle. Art does that for Christians. And it should do that for us, the best kind of art. Alina Zavala worked through the struggle of an injury with the encouragement of eternal truth. I want to help you watch how she displays this eternal truth from a fresh perspective to help people look at God a little differently. Let's try and watch. One of the shows I did in New York um, was about a journey that I had with a crazy injury that I had. It was actually quite dark, the the show itself, but there were specific um, scriptures that God gave me at the time when I was actually going through the whole process, um, when I had the injury and everything. Um, so it was really cool because I was able to incorporate those in the show Um, even though I mean my director wasn't a Christian the people I was working with none of them were Christian but it was really cool just how that didn't matter like the scriptures like were solid and they made sense to everyone Um, Isaiah 43 1 and 2 says do not be afraid for I have ransomed you I have called you by name and you are mine when you go through deep waters I will be with you When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Hmm. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So yeah, it was really cool just being able to reach an audience that 
would probably not come to church, you know, um, but they would come and see a performance that I did. So. Very cool. Melina's dance, she said, would help, might help someone who might never set foot in a church to sit in that tension of the pain of human struggle, but also the hope of something better. And that's what her performance was meant to evoke. In fact, her biography she sent me has a cool little snippet I want to share with you. My desire in everything I do is to create an authentic experience for something which evokes emotions, asks questions, and speaks to the beauty, pain, and triumph of what it means to be human. Do you hear that? Helps a person kind of ask questions, evokes that, speaks to beauty, but also pain. She's describing what great art does. It helps people sit in that and hopefully reach out for Jesus. So, I want to encourage you to adjust your life. You may have spent your life trying to create something beautiful or even just workable, but in the end, it's just resulted in chaos. Maximizing your creativity begins with adjusting your trust, your belief, your priorities, and putting that in Jesus because he wants to create a new heart in you. The narrative of this good news is this. On a Friday, he took upon himself pain, suffering, sin, and evil of the world to the point of a shameful death. And on Sunday, he rose from death to show that he is the way out of death and into life for all who trust in him. I want to invite you to to live with the church of Jesus Christ in the beautiful tension of Saturday as we await a genuine hope to soon come. Let's pray. Father, um, we're grateful that you've created us to be creative, that you made us in your image, and you love us. So please help us in all that we do. Just show both the pain and the suffering. Help us struggle and not be afraid of to struggle because that hints at the cross. Help us not be afraid to show pain and difficulty because that's the reality of the world we live in and that for which you died but also to help us show in all we do hope. And all we create, help us give people hope, help them see and think about and pause and maybe ask us a question. Like, that's different. Why, why, what, why did you create it that way? Why do you do what you do? And more people would see the glory of the gospel through the beauty of what we create. I pray that our best creations would reflect the beautiful tension of Apostle Paul's word in Romans eight eighteen. For I consider the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.